0: All right, so um, if you were with us last week, we started off our series in Genesis. Um, We're going to be continuing that series. I know last week we got through verse 1 and 2, which was awesome. Uh, But this week, we're going to get through the rest of chapter 1, which is surprising, I know. We're going to get pretty far today. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Genesis 1, verse 3. And it's in the very beginning. In the Genesis, if you will. So it said, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now here he says, God divided the light from the darkness. God God saw the light. And it says, God saw the light, that it was good. And good is pleasing useful. When he calls it good, he said pleasing and useful. And he separated the light from the dark, meaning he distinguished one from the other, light from the darkness. And note, some things are going to like build till the end, but I want you to take note that only the light was called good. Sometimes we read this and we, we hear things a certain way because some, some of the verses sound the same. And he separated the land and the sky and he called it good or something. And we think he looked upon all that he did and said, oh, it was good. That's good. But I want you to notice he calls, he saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He says it only about the light. Also, if you're like a, a, if you read your Bible often, you might have come across like, hold on a second, the light was created on the first day, right? But light emitting objects weren't created until the fourth day. Anybody ever notice that? I think of things like that all the time. I'm just like, oh, wow. Wow. but, but, okay, but just to look at this real quick, in verse 3 and 4, the word used for light is or. That's how it's spelled, but it's pronounced or. And, and this word, when he's talking about light and darkness, this means illumination, enlightenment. Okay? Um, and the word used for lights in verse 14, when we talk about the light emitting objects, the word that he uses there is merot. And this is where meed, the word meteor comes from. And this, this means objects that emit light. So when, when he's talking about he created the light, when he separated the light from the darkness, it's different than light-emitting objects. He's talking about the or, not the merot. So there's a difference in the wording between the light of the first day and the light of the fourth day, which we're going to get into on the fourth day. Now, darkness was an unsatisfactory state. If you remember uh, last week when we talked about the, dar- the darkness, it was dark. and and there was waters of the deep. And it was this state of like chaos and this state saying like that water were the power of something that could not be subdued. It was mysterious. It was something to fear. And darkness is the same thing. And that's what there was, darkness in the deep of the abyss. And so this darkness is an unsatisfactory state. It does not support life. And it's generally regarded in the Bible when they talk about darkness, they're not just talking about the absence of light, they're, they're generally referring to something that's against God. Okay, so here, the darkness of the world is actually brought under control and given a safe task to perform. Now, wrote and I know this might get a little confusing, but on the fourth day, we're talking about wrote light-emitting objects. That's created for visible light waves so our eyes can see and plants can live using photosynthesis. But it's not the ore. Okay, and the word used for darkness here is koshek. And koshek is the opposite of or. They go together, but they're opposites. And, and uh, koshek is like a tangible darkness. It's blindness, it's misery, it's falsehood, it's, it's ignorance. It's not just the absence of light, it's falsehood, it's ignorance. And it's not used the same way as nighttime is used. Okay, so when it's saying he separated the light from the darkness, we're not necessarily talking about light-emitting objects. You know, it's the, the, the prime concern isn't d- day and night. It's, it's many things here, okay? And so when they say night, they're saying the word li'il, which is opposite of yom, which is day. You don't have to memorize this stuff, okay? Just if you're interested. And actually, I just throw this in here so I sound really intelligent. So everything that follows is like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. He said words I don't understand at all. But so, Koshek, um, I feel like that's like a character in a movie. I keep wanting to be like, I keep picturing some like orc or something. I don't even know. What is it? Oh yeah, Kershak, And he was a bad gorilla dad till the end. That's why. Yeah, okay, see, there we go. And he, okay, dark spiritual overtones, right? So, okay, now I got, it. I was like, man, it was driving me crazy. I was like, what is that? Okay, so, so and this, this is so cool about the Bible. The beginning is tied to the end. Okay, so when at the end, when they say that darkness will be absent in the new creation, he's saying koshek, not, not night, but darkness. And it also says there will be no merote, light-emitting objects, in the new creation. Because if you've read Revelation, it talks about God will be our light. God's or, God's or, O-W-R, will be our light. And we can see in Revelation 21, 22, when it's talking about the new Jerusalem... It says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty, the Omnipotent, the ruler of all, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun, nor of the moon to give light to it, for the glory, the splendor, the radiance of God has illuminated it. And the Lamb is its lamp and its light. I hope you're getting that. I feel like we could stop right there. Just like just picturing like we have no need for the sun or the moon because God's glory, His splendor, is radiance it will be our light. The lamb will be our lamp and our light. So the world is a light, but not yet with the light of the sun. And you may, you may think, like, how can there be light without sun? How can there be light without sun? That doesn't make any sense. But just let I mean, let's just like analyze things for a second. We have created light without the sun, have we not? We've created light bulbs, right? We've got got LEDs, right? We've used materials that were here, but we have created small lights without the sun. Could God not do the same, right? If our limited wisdom, we can create light with the tools God has given us, do we think that we ourselves are better than God, that we can make light without the sun that he could not make? So moving on, it says in the second day, it said, And God said... Let there be an expanse of the sky in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters below from the waters above. And God made the expanse of sky and separated the waters which were under the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. That's a lot of expanse. And it was just, and it was so, just as He commanded. And God called the expanse of sky heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So I'm just going to talk about this for a second. So waters above from waters below. Like, if you don't know what that means, in Proverbs 8.28, it talks about it. And it says, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep. So it's talking about the clouds. And if you think about it, again, he's taking something, the water, which was an example of something that could not be subdued and was not useful. It was not called good. And he takes it and subdues it and makes it good and useful by causing it to bring rain to water the plants that he's about to make. It all becomes useful. It all becomes good, he subdues it, and and uses it. Um, And then on the third day, and I was gonna throw up a picture of this band called Third Day, but Daisy said no one's gonna know who that is. So does anyone know who Third Day is, David Reed? Brenda Reed, okay, cool, all right, cool. So Daisy, see, I knew there'd be people who knew Third Day, right? Okay, second question, does anyone actively listen to Third Day? Okay, good, that's good, that's good. Okay, I just gained so much respect for everyone in this room. Um, but they were good in their day, okay? People, I've been told. Um, all right, because I didn't listen to them because I've always been cool. It's just something I've had. I don't know. Um, so then God said on the third day, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that this was good, pleasing, useful. And he affirmed and sustained it. So God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind, whose seed is in them upon the earth. And it was so. The earth sprouted and abundantly produced vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good, and he affirmed and sustained it. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Just to point this out real quick, just in case you're interested. It keeps saying there was evening and there was morning. And this is one of the reasons that for the Jews, the day starts in the evening. At sunset, their day starts because here in the beginning, it says and there was evening and morning, and evening came first. So that's how they do it. But so there's two distinct acts of God on the third day. He pre- prepares the dry land and the seas, and then he furnishes the dry land with vegetation. And it, note that it gives special attention to the seed-bearing plants and fruit trees, things that produce seed. And actually, it talks about them according to their kind, ones that have uh, seed on the inside and ones that are bearing seed on the outside. And like the light, these acts, are, it's called good. Notice on the second day, he didn't say it was good. But here, he says it's good again. The creating of the land and the specifically mentioned plants are called good because they have purpose. They're useful, and their use is for us. They're useful because they're made for man's benefit. It's all about us. So they're useful, and they have purpose. So then on the fourth day, when you're typing up these things and just copy-pasting them, it's a lot different than when you have to read them aloud. out. Um, then God said, let there be light bearers, May wrote, sun, moon, stars, and the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be useful for signs of God's provident care, and for marking seasons, days, and years, and let them be useful as light in the expanse of the heavens to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule the night. He made the stars also, that is, all the amazing wonders in the heavens. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to provide light upon the earth, to rule over the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and he affirmed and sustained it. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. So here we see that though the concept of time was created on the first day, and though light was created on the first day, here the light bearers are put in their place to further subdivide time into seasons and years as well as days. And the sun, moon, and stars are assigned the duty of supervising the behavior of light and darkness. And again, it says, God saw that it was good. And then on the fifth day, it says, Let the water swarm and abundantly produce living creatures, and let birds soar above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarmed according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and he affirmed and sustained it. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. So this is the first time that he says, and he blessed them, right? So, so we see there's a time that he starts saying this is good, and he doesn't say all, of it, all things are good, he calls specific things good that are purposeful and useful. And then this is the first time he says, and he blessed them. The first time we see it. We've seen him say something's good, but not that he blessed it. Um, and I don't want this to get lost on us because for us, the, the use of the word blessing, you know, if someone sneezes, we say like, God bless you. Like the, the blessing to us is not the same as when the, when the Jews, when the Hebrews read this when they read blessing, when he says God blessed it, right? And, and he names it. So, so creation and, and the firmament, the earth, seas, sun, are all named by God. And this also means something. Because when something is named by something else to the Jews, it means you have power over it. You have power over that thing if you can name that thing. It's actually when Jesus comes upon the man in the tombs who's possessed by, leg- by a legion of demons, and they know Jesus' name, it actually means like it put everyone in fear because this man knew Jesus' name. And it meant to them that it had power over Jesus. And so when Jesus is like casted out, it was like this earth-shattering thing because th- those demons that he cast out were supposed to have power over him because they could name him. And just to drive this naming thing home like, The reason that the Jews wouldn't say the name of God, they wouldn't even say it, was because it felt like they were trying to like control God or or, like assert power over God simply by naming him. So they wouldn't even say the name of God. So naming is a big thing. The fact that he names all these things means he has power over all of it. And this is very different from what's happening in the world around them. Like, see, people worship the sun. People worship the creation right? They, they worship these objects. And so here saying God created it and he named it, it's like he has all authority and all power over it. And so just the naming of each of these things shows that God has authority and power over everything. And maybe that might skip over us because we don't really think of naming something like that. I mean, I've named my children and I have all authority and power over them and they know it. And I serve my dominance, right? But unfortunately I did not name my wife. So she controls them with all authority. She, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but so, so it's a powerful concept to the Jews, this naming thing. It's all under his authority, but here we see him begin to bless. And all these elements of life, it says they're identified by God according to their kinds. And because they're identified by God, according to their kinds, he's giving them a specific purpose. He's giving them individual worth. Everything he created is giving individual worth. But these higher forms of life are singled out for something more. Okay, the birds and fish and land animals and man are all blessed by God. And they are specially equipped in a way that nothing else in creation is. They also create life. They also create life. They're given the task to create life and be fruitful and multiply. And that is the blessing. Right, God has delegated a little bit of his power to these things, to these these higher forms of life that they can create life. We actually see Eve when she bears a child. She says, I have born a child with God's help. And she's referencing this blessing of God to create life. John Gibson um, says, we have here a recognition long before psychologists thought of it that there is a wealth of behavioral patterns and relationships in the animal world linking it and humanity together. We must not limit the blessing they share with each other too much. It has to do with more than fertility. It embraces not only the process of conception and birth, but spills over into the care of the young and the provision of food and shelter. and It involves ultimately the health and prosperity of the whole social group. We're really speaking about God's rules for the continuance of life in his universe. And then on the sixth day, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock, crawling things, and wild animals of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, because he had spoken them into creation. God made the wild animals of the earth according to their kind, and the cattle according to their kind, and everything that creeps and crawls on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and he affirmed and sustained it. Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth, So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subjugate it, putting it under your power. And rule over, dominate, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to all the animals on the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that moves on the ground, to everything in which there is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything they had made, and behold, it was very good, and he validated it completely. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. So on the same day, God creates the animals, the crawling things, which I wish he hadn't done, but he did, and, and, um, and also creates man. So, but I w- want to look real quick at the animals that he created, because, because I love animals, right? And I'm a vegan, and I'm going to be pushing that today. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not at all. Um, I only eat meat. Meat and Terry. Um, but So in Job chapter 39, I don't, I don't know if you've read it. Um, I was going to read it, and I looked at all the other reading I had, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but for, for Job's benefit, God begins to talk about, he goes into great detail about the animals of the world and their specific struggle. He talks about, like, well, not every animal, but he's like, you know, uh, the sheep and the goats, and they do this. And, and, and he talks about their individual problems to illustrate to Job I know what is going on with every single thing in the world. I know what's going on in every single thing in the world, and I care about it. And we again see his care for all of his creation in Jonah 4.11. This is kind of the craziest thing. Like, the story of Jonah, God is going to destroy Nineveh, but he goes and sends Jonah to warn the people, right? He goes to warn them. But here's his, here's his warning and his desire In Jonah 4.11, to save the people. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. He says, should I not spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? God says that. He says, and also the cows. (laughs) Think about that. There's a lot of cows there. I mean, what does that insinuate? It, It insinuates that he loves them. It's his, it's his creation. And we see, we see that all through this when he starts, he, um, it says he separates them according to their kinds, and they're giving a usefulness and they're giving individual worth. And here we see that he cares about every living thing that he created. It is his. It's, under his, it's not only under his authority, it's not only under his power, but he cares for it. He cares for it because they are his. They are his. In Matthew 10, 29, Jesus himself, he says, are not two little sparrows sold for a copper coin, and yet not one, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He says, God knows every single sparrow that falls to the ground every single one. We often see throughout the Bible, God says, I, I've heard their cries. Their cries have reached me. They've, they've reached heaven. And I've come down to do something about it. And here Jesus says, God hears every, if you wonder, man, is God hearing my prayers? Is God hearing my prayers? This is Jesus' answer. God knows every single sparrow that falls to the ground. So don't fear because you are worth many many sparrows. And sometimes you don't even need to interpret what God is saying. I don't need to illustrate God's love. You can read, you can read the words of the Lord. You can read the words of Jesus and see, man, if you want to see it, see, man, he loves me. He loves me so much. Then in Matthew six twenty-eight, he says, why are you worried about clothes? See how the lilies and wild flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory and splendor dressed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today and tomorrow. I got to start that over, sorry. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, therefore do not worry or be anxious perpetually uneasy or distracted, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but do not worry. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first and most importantly, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. As God cares for all of his creation, he cares that much more for us. As he cares for all of his creation, he cares that much more for us. In fact, it's all for us. It's all for us. All the things that, that are deemed good are because they are purposeful for us. Later, we're going to see that other plants that, like, in the, that he puts in the garden don't even begin to grow yet. because, And it says because there was no man to till them, but it doesn't mean God needed man to till them. It means God wasn't, the man wasn't there to eat them yet. So there was no use for them. So God creates and makes things useful for us. It's all about us. Even the first time he speaks and says, let there be light. Do you think about it? Like has God audibly spoken before that time? Has he audibly spoken? But His first, the first sound of his voice, let there be light, is so that he can create us so that he can speak eternally with us and we can speak back and we can hear him. It's all about us, about the relationship with us. Even the first time He speaks. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And don't just read your Bible and read it and go blank. Look at it like this. He chose you. He chose you before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. He chose us, before the foundation of the world. And we've got to get this. As we, as we read every single thing, the reason we went by this, this verse by verse and we saw the vegetation and even the animals and the care that he gave to them and the purpose he gave to them, the purpose that he gives to them is for us. It's all for us. It's for our, our good. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you before anyone knew you. I know your thoughts even now. I know what you think. I know your hurts. I know your fears. I know everything about you. He could have said that before this. I know every hurt and every fear. I know your innermost thoughts. I know your tears. I hear your cries because I knew you before I formed you. And I desire for you to know me. Throughout this opening chapter, God is shown as the one who both knows what is good. He's the one who establishes what is good. And he is the one who is intent on providing the good. He calls things good. He determines what is good. And he is intent on providing the good. God is intent on providing good for you. He's intent on providing good for you. God is the author of goodness. We can't miss that as he calls things good. He's the author of what is good. Everything begins and ends in him. Last week's lesson, the Holy Spirit circling over us. We talked about the darkness. We talked about the waters. And we talked about the fear that they invoked, how you could not subdue the water, how like every time the water shows up in the Bible, it was like the Red Sea. It was something that had to be crossed. It was something that had to be faced. And we talked about even how it was easier for, the, for them to turn around and face the Egyptians. There was a better chance of success turning around with children with no weapons and fighting the Egyptians. There's a better chance of success than crossing the waters of the Red Sea. And when you think of that water and you think of that darkness, and then we talk about the hope of the Holy Spirit circling over the darkness, wheeling and soaring, waiting upon the word of the Lord to act on that. And we think, oh, that's awesome. There's a powerful God who is wheeling over the darkness in my life. And I don't know what's about to come, but the Holy Spirit is there and he is circling over us. It doesn't mean a single thing if we don't understand that God is good. None of that matters. Not, not, it doesn't matter. I mean, I mean it does. But to us, when we're thinking of, of God, it doesn't matter how powerful He is to us. It doesn't matter that He's there for us unless we understand that He's also good, that He is also good. He establishes what is good. He's powerful, He's the beginning, He's the end, but He's also good. He's good. God is good. This is foundational. I said we're gonna talk about foundational things, and sometimes things happen. And we wonder, we say, how is this happening? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Why would God allow this? Why would God do this? Why would he do this? But that's why it's important to know. I don't know. I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know why he's allowed this. But I know that he's good. That's all I know. I know that he's good doesn't make sense, but it's foundational. It's something we have to understand. I don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why this is happening to you. I don't know why I don't understand, but we don't need to understand. All we need to understand is God is good. God is good, no matter what's happening. And I said all that to say this, God is good, God is good. We need to know it, it's foundational. It is foundational, it is our rock. We say, I I know God and I don't know what's happening, I don't know why, I don't know why he's allowed it, but I do know that he's good. I know that he's good. Since the beginning of time, God has been doing things for our good. And we don't always see it. In fact, most of the time, we probably don't see it. We, we, we don't always see his faithfulness. We don't see the Holy Spirit circling. And sometimes it's easy to give up, but the thing that, that gives us hope, the thing that can keep us going is say, man, I don't, God, God. I, I, sometimes we just got to say it. Don't we? Don't we don't believe it at the moment? Don't we don't feel it at the moment? We say, God, I know you're good. I know you're good. Like, I, I might be mad at you. I may not understand. I'm like overwhelmed, but I know that you're good. It even says in that song, it's like giving beauty for your ashes. Sometimes we're like, God, I don't have anything to give you today. I, I, don't, I, I, I feel like maybe worshiping would be better, but I don't have that right now. Not only do I not have anything, all I have is ashes, all I have is what's broken. All I have is, is nothing left from something I once had. Sometimes it's better to not have anything than to have something and lose it. And then it's ashes. And that is worse than nothing. And say, God, all I have is these ashes. And it says, he gives us beauty for our ashes. He gives us beauty for our ashes. That, that's who God is. We have to know that he's good. It's the, as the foundations of the earth, we have to understand and make it our foundation that when things shake, when things crumble, and they will, when everything is going wrong, when we look around and we have no hope, we have no reason to hope, we have nothing to hold on to, but clinging to ashes, what was, what cannot be, what is gone. He is good. He's good. I said all that about creation to say that God is good. It's not something we always have to feel. And a lot of times we're not going to feel it. I'll be honest with you. I think everyone's been through a time where we don't feel that. But it doesn't change the fact of it. It doesn't change anything about it. He's still good. And, and when we don't feel safe and everything's going around, we, ha- we have to... We have to sit in the shelter of his wings, not knowing what's going on, not not knowing why as the winds swirl around and we say, I don't know, but I know you're good and I can't see it. But I know that you're going to do something out of this. I hope you're going to do something out of this. And we have to say it even though we're not feeling it because God doesn't change based on how we feel about him. Because even if you're mad at him, even if you hate him, even if you don't believe in him. And often when we don't believe in him or when we have doubts about him, it's because we've seen things that happen that are bad. And we say, how could God allow this? And it it makes us question, is God good? Is God good? I want everybody to close your eyes. Is God good? I want you to just think to yourself. It's just you and God. And I want you to ask yourself, is God good? Do I think God is good? And if you don't, I want you to tell him why. Lord, I have trouble believing that you're good because of my childhood. Lord, I have trouble believing that you're good because of what's happening right now. Lord, I have trouble believing you're good because of everything that I see. Be open and be honest with him. Because he already knows. He knew you before the foundation of the earth. He knew you before the world was made. He formed you and he knows you and he knows those thoughts already. Lord, sometimes I see pain and there's nothing I can do about it. Sometimes we see things, Lord, sometimes I see see things and I, I feel powerless. sometimes no 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 words will mend the broken heart sometimes none of my actions can heal the wounds I'm just powerless and we're all powerless Lord so Lord I just pray that you are the comforter. You are the one who has to speak. You're the one who has to move. You are the comforter. It begins and it ends with you. Goodness begins and it ends with you, Lord. And I just pray. I just pray that we can feel your touch, Lord. That we can feel you, your comfort. And I just love, I just love that even though We constantly try to push away your embrace. You constantly still come in with open arms to embrace us. I thank you that you are faithful and that you are good, Lord, because honestly, we might get upset because you're not good in our eyes, but but I'm not good. I'm not good. I fail people. I do things that hurt people. Sometimes I'm the cause of the hurt. And, And no matter how I try to mend it, I can't because I'm also the cause of it, Lord. But you are the cause of goodness. And I just pray that no matter what anyone's going on in this room tonight, Lord, that you would heal our hurts, that you would heal our sorrows, Lord. And even if, even if we're not ready to give up our ashes, Lord, that we, would, we could just begin to understand that you're there with us and you're, you're there to bear our burdens, to take our sorrows, to be our oar, to be our light. When we have no light, and Jesus, I just pray that you would be our lamp and our light today and through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.